The 2019 Crested Butte Candidates Forum was broadcast live at the Center for the Arts in Crested Butte on Sunday, October 20th at 6 p.m. Six candidates vied for five open seats on the Crested Butte Town Council. The candidates included four current members of the Crested Butte Town Council. Laura Mitchell, elected in 2015 to a four-year term. Will Dujardin was elected in 2017 to a two-year term. Candace Bradley ran unsuccessfully for town council in 2017 and then in March 2019 was appointed by the council to fill the seat of Kent Cowherd, who was stepping down. Finally, the last incumbent running it was Malika Magner, who was appointed to the council in June of 2019 after Jackson Petito stepped down. Anne Moore and Mona Merrill were the two newcomers to town elections on stage that night. Also on stage, Jim Schmidt, a longtime local politician currently serving his fourth stint as mayor, a position for which he is running unopposed. The event was moderated by Dennis B. Hall, who invited the candidates all to give a 90-second introductory statement that was followed by a question-and-answer session, followed by a round of closing statements. We leave you right at the beginning of the opening statements. The first voice you will hear is candidate Malika Magner. Thank you for being here. I fell in love with Crested Butte in 1995 when I first topped the hill and decided to make it my home. I work full time. I'm a practicing attorney, a small business owner, and a homeowner with a deed-restricted affordable housing unit. I have a long history with the town. I'm a former CB town attorney, as well as for other municipalities on the western slope. So I know the mechanics and, and ins and outs of town government, and I'm used to dealing with complex issues. I don't have all the answers, that's for sure. But I know how to ask the right questions and the right people to ask. I'm a former Bozar member, twice. I'm a glutton for punishment. I was on the board of the Center for the Arts for 10 years when it was a very different place. And I currently serve on the town council. Why am I here asking for your vote so I can continue to spend long hours in meetings and reading documents instead of spending time on the trail, on my yoga mat, or bench sitting? I want to put my skills, experience, and long history with the town to use in this crux time. I love our town, our lifestyle, and our community. I'm passionate about climate change, about affordable housing, and I want to preserve our bike and pedestrian lifestyle. I want to continue to not lock my townie. Thank you. Thank you, Malika. Um, our next candidate for council is Mona Merrill. Mona? Hi, I'm Mona Merrill, and I am extremely passionate about community. I'm running for town council to help preserve our community here in Crested Butte. I moved to Breckenridge in 1991 when it was very similar to Crested Butte. There were dirt roads, crazy locals, a small ski area, and not a lot of rules. I believe this perspective and living in Colorado for 28 years will be valuable as a town council member. Our family bought here in Crested Butte in 2010. 
The main reason we moved was because Crested Butte still has what I believe Breckenridge has lost. The, the grassroots nonprofits here, the locals riding around on their bicycles, the dirt roads, and the amazing open space vistas is what we love. My daughter is now in first grade at the Crested Butte Community School, and I want to make sure in the next 12 years before she graduates, I do everything in my power to help keep our community real. If elected, I would pour my heart into this position. I would do the research, the homework, the networking, and the collaborating to make sure locals are living and thriving here in town. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mona. Our next uh, uh, candidate for town council, uh, Mr. Will Dujardin. Yeah, hey guys. Um, my name is Will Dujardin. I run the free ride, ski, and snowboard program up for uh, CBMR and uh, Vail Resorts, the Crested Butte Mountain Sports Team. I'm also a Bad Dog Alley resident uh, and been fortunate enough to be here for 11 years in uh, just uh, like 10 days or so. Um, you know, I've been on town council for two years and I've really started to enjoy it and uh, find the flow and groove of what it takes, you know, um, five to 25 hours of your week um, throughout the year is a lot of stuff. So I, uh, you know, it took about six months for me to kind of get a feel for it. And I think um, once I hit my stride, I really found a groove and I uh, started to understand the relationship between my fellow council members and uh, staff. Uh, so I feel like I'm only really getting started. Actions on affordable housing and climate change have really motivated me to keep working. Uh, there's also been a lot of frustrations in those arenas as well. Um, you know, I really want to keep my nose to the grind and I feel like I represent a lot of town and I have my pulse through a lot of the circles that I have through work, through volunteering, through my social life. I hope the town will continue to let me make long-term and snap decisions in our best interest as a community. So I ask for your vote to let me keep going. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Our next candidate is Ms. Candace Bradley. I'm Candace Bradley. I li I've lived in Crested Butte for five years. I'm currently on the Crested Butte Town Council. <clears throat> I'm a business owner, a stepmom, and a queer, uh, sorry, a queer woman. I'm running for Crested Butte Town Council once again because I believe it's important to have diversity in all government. In my business, I talk to people from all walks of life, visitors, locals, renters, homeowners, men, women, and those in between. I feel that gives me a well-formed view of our community. During the last election, I stressed the importance of developing a strategy to embrace growth in our community. I still believe that this is key to building the future of Crested Butte while maintaining our values. We need to make these decisions as a community. We need a valley-wide plan for rental housing, tourism, technology, healthcare, and environment. We need to work together to find a solution that will answer the needs of today and will serve us into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. Our next candidate is uh, Ms. Ann Moore. Ann? Good evening, Crested Butte. Ann Moore here. Um, I was raised here by my parents. And if you don't know me, uh, my brother was in the Subak Doe program until he was a second degree midnight blue belt. 
My dad was the first ever snowboarding ski patrolman Crestview had ever had and a small business owner. My mom, a 17-year fire, volunteer firefighter and a small business owner. Myself, I'm an original titan. I'm an avid community volunteer. And I also am a small business owner. And me, my family, we love this place. And we know that the key to Crested Butte's success in the past and it's the key to the success in the future is the same. The work of the people who live here. Right now, this is becoming endangered, the people that work and live here. But it's not the first time that we fought this fight, not even close. And so I'm here running for town council so that I can honor my ancestors in the best way that I know possible by adding my voice to the hundreds that have come before me that said the same thing. No, we stay here. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. And our final candidate to speak is Ms. Laura Mitchell. Good evening, my name is Laura Mitchell. I've lived in Crested Butte for the past 33 years, starting at Western State and surviving and thriving in a variety of jobs. I currently practice orthobionomy and I sling sandwiches at Frank's Deli. I love this town and community. It's been a pleasure and honor to serve on town council for the past four years. During these four years, I've learned so much and have gained, and have gained the experience needed to continue to serve in this role. I am also excited to work with the new council and all the fresh and unique perspectives that these candidates offer. I am proud to have been part of the plastic bag ban, short-term rental regulations, and the Long Lake Land Trust land trade, which will save Long Lake for public use in addition to providing money to the Valley Housing Fund. Goals and priorities that are important to me are affordable housing. This is number one. I will continue to work hard to look at all possible venues for affordable housing. We've worked hard for two years on the current proposal at Brush Creek, and at this point, I'm not convinced it's the best fit for our community. I would love to see some type of workforce housing happen at Brush Creek in the near future. Clean water. I am committed to working on the quality of our water and quantity of water and preserving our natural resources around us. Parking and traffic. We need to manage our par parking better, and I still feel we need to address the entrance to town for safety reasons. I would like to revisit the idea of a roundabout at the entrance of town. I was disappointed that I couldn't continue that effort. During my time on council, we have been proactive with many goals and projects. I am proud to serve on the Mountain Express, RTA, Scenic Byways, and grant funding committees. I'd love to be part of completing the project to move Mountain Express to its new sustainable facility. Thank you for your time, and thanks for coming out tonight. Thank you, Laura. Uh, finally, um, uh, Mayor Jim Schmidt will uh, give his uh, opening statement. Mr. Schmidt, do you want to use thank this Thank you, Mr. Hall. I think I'll just stay here. Uh, I want to thank everybody in this town for having a lot of trust in me. I've been elected five times as a council member, four times as a mayor. Uh, 28 years out of the 43 years I've lived here, I've been on council. And together, we've made this a great place to live and to thrive. I should have wore my glasses. Oh, well. <laughs> um, 
We will continue to seek solutions for our housing, even though we already have 23% of the units in town are deed restricted in one way or the other. And we have 30 units, counting the three that the uh, fire department is doing under construction for affordable housing. And I hope to see a new start for Brush, Brush Creek for a non-controversial solution. We'll know about that actually by the end of the month here. We will continue to look into parking tra traffic and transportation problems. The town is working on a climate action program. Recently, I went to a climate summit in Park City, Utah, and came away excited but very worried. Utah is a state where the, the uh, state rock is coal, and they are taking bold steps to do things about uh, climate over there. But I'm worried because my generation, as Greta Thunberg stated, has let down the youth and the future generations of this country. I've been a believer in the problems associated with global warming for years, even before the first Earth Day back in 1970. I am hoping for and demanding substantive results from our um, climate action program. We have been picking the low-hanging fruit for years. I want to make a difference. I must admit I've been hesitant about con confronting visitors and others about climate change. After going to that climate, after seeing Greta, I want to be a champion for climate change. As I'm running unopposed, I won't be answering questions tonight to give more time to the council candidates unless somebody directs a question directly at me or I hear some incorrect information. Again, I thank you for your confidence in me, and I look forward to the ideas and energies these ca candidates have to offer. Thank you, Deli. All right. Um, we will now open up the two questions from the audience. So uh, I'm not quite sure how we're going to do that logistically, but um, there's a microphone right down here in front. So uh, when you have a question, please come down, speak into the microphone, and we will do our best to uh, answer your questions. And tell, please tell us your name and who you're directing your questions to. And if I could get you to turn down those lights again up there, I'd sure really like that. Um, okay, questions. Who's got one? If there aren't any questions, you guys are going to have to put it. I'm going to have to ask a question. Okay, I, here's a question that's bothered me. I probably asked it four years ago, five years ago, last year, the year before. I'm going to ask it again. Um, I feel very strongly that uh, we over-market our, uh, our area. Um, the reason I feel like that is because I believe that we are now overrun. Therefore, I would ask uh, the powers that be to stop spending money on increased marketing and bringing more and more people in here, and instead, let's put some money into existing amenities. Uh, my question, therefore, to the to council uh, candidates is, do you know where we get our tourism marketing money, and what will you do to uh, ride herd on that? Who wants it? Mona. So I was just talking about this because um, in the paper, uh, Mount CB just 
gave out, what was it? $130,000. Yeah, and then more. Um, one was to Travel CB and then the other to the Tourism Association, or I think, yeah, Tourism Association. Um, so for the same reason, I was actually speaking about this out loud because now that Vail has purchased CBMR, I believe they uh, will market the mountain for us. And um, I was surprised that Mount CB actually did put dollars towards that. Um, like you, I would love to see those dollars go more towards our community, towards the grassroots, towards our trails, towards maintenance, towards CBCC. Um, and I do think we don't need to market anymore. I believe that social media, word of mouth, iPhones, you name it. Everybody knows where we are. People know how to get here. And they are coming. Thank you, Mona. Uh, uh, Malika. I agree with Mona. Vail has got a really clever, super awesome new marketing campaign that markets Crested Butte. And they've got big bucks and great expertise behind them. They're going to be bringing people. We don't need to bring any more people. Everybody here knows what July is like in Crested Butte. We want to support our businesses, but it seems like that's what Vail is going to be doing. So no, I do not support spending more money to market Crested Butte. Thank you, Malika. Anyone else want to deal with that on the council candidates? Will Dujardin. Yeah, so, um, you know, last time we were up here, there was a pretty, I think one of the most aggressive tense moments. One of the most aggressive tense moments was, uh, you know, when people wanted to stop funding the Tourism Association, now known as TAP. And, um, you know, I definitely respect the sentiments, but we have to, you know, there's definitely a balance there. And trying to say that we should completely stop marketing is unrealistic, but, you know, saying that we don't need to add more money towards that direction is very realistic, and I totally uh, support trying to redirect some of that funding. I believe that's why the Tourism Association has rebranded themselves um, to try to incorporate more uh, action towards promoting our businesses. Um, you know, basically, we have to be realistic in how we balance uh, our marketing and trying to sustain uh, economic progress in this valley because we all want it to happen the right way. We don't want to feel overrun, but um, you know it, it. It totally happens in the summer, but so, you know people really hurt in the off season still. Even though the off season is expanding a little bit, you know we're still all trying to make money to pay to live here so we can get out and ride our bikes and ski. So it's a balance. Thank you, Will. Candice. It is a balance, and I think most of our businesses in this community um, are fueled by tourism dollars. And we need to, as a valley, work together to find what works for us, what brings in sales tax revenue and keeps our businesses alive but doesn't overwhelm us as a valley. Thank you, Candace. Anne? I think when we're looking at this program, uh, we need to look at what the actual problem is. Too many guests or too many of the wrong kind of guests? Don't we want the best guests, the best skiers, the best tippers, the people that love nature and appreciate this place? Well, maybe we should be taking some of this tourism money and researching how we get better guests. I don't know that we need to stop advertising this place. We just need to get the right people here. So sure, it feels like we're throwing some money away because we're just letting anybody in. Yeah, come here, you can find it. 
but maybe we take some of this money and we say, how do we get the right people here? So in that way, I don't really want to take it away because I don't think that we're using it to its fullest potential and I don't think it just has to be spent on billboards. So in the end, I think we need to look at how we spend this money. Thank you, Anne. Laura Mitchell. Thanks, Dennis. Um, <clears throat> I think in the next two years, actually, I'm going to go back four years, and we were still kind of traumatized by the recession, and we still talked about having a year-round economy. And I think some of us still miss having October as an off-season, which it's not. You see people in town. They rent, they rent the short-term rentals. They're here. However, um, the TA's budget is giant, and I think we really need to have a community discussion about whether what's important to us there with the TA. I mean, they spend, they're, they're paying blister to the tune of $600,000 over the next two years to um, figure out who's coming and what they're spending their money on. And meanwhile, we're struggling to figure out how to pay the Crest Butte Conservation Corps. I know that there's not a nexus between the, the TA dollars and the Conservation Corps and the store, but um, redirecting the money or just taking a close look at what we're, what we're doing. Thanks, Diane. Thank you, Laura. Okay, who wants a question from the audience? Here's one, thank you. Good evening, candidates. I'm Willow Williford. My question, I think all of you um, di <laughs> directly or indirectly um, mentioned housing as an important component of our community. So I wanted to ask, um, what do you think is the most beneficial thing we could do to further housing for year-round locals in the north end of the valley during your time on council if you're elected? Malika. I think what we need to do is we need to have a partnership between the towns, Crested Butte, Mount Crested Butte, the county, the Gunnison Valley Housing Authority. We need to partner together, pool our money, get the grants, get the new money that's available from the state now, and use that money together, create a unified plan. The needs of the towns and the, and the city of Gunnison are not the same. But if we work together, make a plan, then I think that we can make some great strides towards housing our local workforce. Thank you, Malika. Mona, you want it? Um, yeah, I wrote about that in one of the comments in the paper about a uh, north end of this valley kind of coalition. Um, but I also think other than um, collaborating and pooling our money and resources, I do think from here on out we have to make sure everything being built is affordable, not some market value, maybe a little bit of market value. Um, I also think it's important that we are hitting the right people. I know some people fall through the cracks. I've had a lot of locals tell me they didn't get the affordable housing and they are prime candidates. So um, I do think it's important to have a process where if somebody doesn't get it, there is grievance, there's a variance, it gets answered, it gets addressed. Um, furthermore, the, as far as I know, the land in town that we are building affordable housing on is going to be built out pretty soon. I think it's important that we are anticipating more affordable housing in the future, and we need to look at more land to purchase or 
more properties that we can afford to turn into affordable housing in town. Thank you, Mona. Any other candidates want to speak to it? Will? Yeah, affordable housing is uh, definitely one of, you, you know, <laughs> kind of my life on town council. Uh, it almost made me want to quit a year ago. Um, I feel like I've been banging my head against the wall sometimes, you know, but compromise and uh, <laughs> compromise goes hand in hand with progress somehow. And um, so we have Brush Creek out there, and it seems like we've definitely hit a wall of sorts. You know, like I said at a town council meeting, um, it still sucks when we're so split on it to try to push for something. So that on one hand, we're going to have to be trying to figure that out with our regional partners as soon as possible. But meanwhile, um, we have to start planning on the annex. Um, that's going to be a big deal, but we're, we're a few years out on that. Um, Density out there is going to be kind of key. You know, we've talked about space to create things, trying to incorporate some businesses and uh, worker spaces out there. There's also going to be, you know, a little bit more public land out there as well. But uh, we basically just have to keep doing what, are, what we're doing. Uh, the town staff knows that affordable housing is one of town council's biggest goals. And so we've been able to do some really awesome stuff with the home ownership options and the employer rentals. So hopefully we can expand those programs. Um, the other thing, you know, I'm going to keep pushing for a version of that veil, the town of Vale Indeed program in our town. Deed restrictions are a way we can protect ourselves against the next recession and boom and bust cycle. So hopefully we can get more people in town. Thank you, Will. Candice. Hey. <clears throat> I think that we need to promote long-term rentals to the people in the community that may be short-terming their homes. Um, I'm not sure how to make that more appealing when it's way, way more financially appealing to short-term your home instead of giving it to a local who's been here for years. Um, I like the idea of buying deed restrictions on the homes uh, like the Vale and Deed program. I think that we need to be more open and honest about the workforce needs and the rental housing needs in this community. Thank you, Candace. Ann? I would, I would say when we're looking at this, uh, we've got lots of plans coming. We're looking at all kinds of blueprints and things. But what happens to us in Crested Butte is we get caught by surprise so frequently. And these next couple of years are going to be a really serious time when everybody in this community, these people on the council and all of us, say, we are committed to affordable housing, and it is going to be a push. We're looking at a recession. Do we really need these houses? Can we afford to build them? These, all these questions are going to come up to all of us repeatedly, and this is our time, especially in the next two years, to not only say we're going to look at everything, we're going to, we're going to commit, but we are going to commit and not be surprised by the needs because they're coming, and we know it, and we can't be afraid of the outside factors. This is how we commit as a community. We say we know that there's things going on elsewhere, but we create our own destiny, and this is what we need. So I think, most importantly, we need a certain amount of bravery from all of us, because it's going to take a full commitment to get this done if we're going to address these needs completely. Thank you, Anne. Laura. <clears throat> well, um, I think we need workforce housing and uh, uh, also uh, affordable housing, that's rentals. 
Um, it's a two-pronged approach. You know, we've worked really hard on uh, Paradise Park and getting a lot of locals in there. I'm thrilled to see a few friends get there that I sat on the chairlift and said, why don't you just try this? And they're there now. Um, as far as the problem, we need to engage Vail, Western, all large employers. We also need to consider that um, North Village is going to come online, and we need to work with Mount Crested Butte towards... Um, maybe a joint project with Mount Crested Butte. Obviously, we need to continue land banking. Um, right now, it's my understanding that the Valley Housing Foundation has $850,000 in their uh, bank account. And they'll be getting them the flow from the land trust uh, trade. So, uh, you know, maybe we could do a LIHTC project at the Slate River uh, annexation. And we're gonna keep trying. Thank you, Laura. All right, let's take another question from the audience. There's one way up there in the top. Could you, could you please come down and use the microphone? I know it's a long trip. Hi, uh, Angie Hornberg, Crested Butte. Um, what did I have to tell you? Um, well, j just while we're on this same subject, and I appreciate that a couple of you were very specific, there's a lot of general, generalities going on here about, yeah, we need to get more affordable housing, but we don't like the, the high density. Um, I heard a couple of specific, thank you, Laura, I think um, Malika, maybe Mona. Um, but do you have, and does anybody here have any suggestions as to how specifically to encourage, say, long-term rentals here? And um, and can you also, it's kind of a two-pronged question, distinguish between um, different types of short-term housing. Somebody who lives here like me, who has never offered long-term um, housing because I come and go in my tiny house, as opposed to somebody who will come to this town and buy a duplex specifically in order to short-term rent and to take advantage of that situation. Does anybody have any really specific ideas about getting into the details of, of this issue? And I did hear some specifics, but thank you. Malika first, please. So I've been going from door to door in my campaign trying to get input from the people who live here to find out what their needs are, their issues are. And I have the opportunity to go to Anthracite Place. It's a 30-unit long-term rental affordable housing unit in town. It seems awesome. I was in a bunch of the apartments. They're beautiful. The people who live there are happy. They are the people who work at Gretchen's at the Daily Dose. They're people with physical disabilities. It's a whole range of people. What I'd like to see specifically is another project similar to Anthracite Place where there is rental housing that is restricted by income. There is, we've got an annexation that's likely to happen, um, Slate River annexation. There is land that's set aside. There is, there, the numbers vary as to how many units would be available, but up to 60 units. Anthracite Place has 30. 
It's my understanding when Anthracite Place was first coming online that there was a lot of concerns about the size, mass, and scale of Anthracite Place. I think it looks great. They look great on the inside, and the people who live there seem really happy. It's a mix of one and two bedroom places, so there's a bunch of folks. I think that's an awesome first step. And then Angie as to how to deal with the short-term, long-term rentals. I don't know specifically your situation. You know, right now our short-term rentals are um, broken up into two categories, people with primary residence and others. But I did have a conversation with our current town attorney this week about what mechanisms are available to us to increase the number of long-term residences in town. So apparently there are various mechanisms to reduce the number of short-term rentals that would be, as you say, um, purchased primarily for that use where no long-term rental is ever going to happen. But as to your specific situation, because I don't know the details of it, I can't really answer. Thank you. Thank you, Malika. And more? I would first uh, speak towards what we're going to do to incentivize people to rent long-term. I think it's probably one of the biggest questions that there is, and uh, I think we have to look into ourselves on this. We are sure that we, we are in charge of how much tax we collect. Us, as a town, we decide these things. If somebody wanted to rent their property for 10 years, we're talking long-term rental, Yes, and then sell that property afterwards, then I would gladly waive their real estate tra trans tra transfer fee, right? We're talking taxes and things that we can control, that we collect ourselves, and for a significant amount of time. If some, We're talking the smallest portion of people, but shouldn't we, you know, have these things in place for somebody? Yes. Does every single long-term rental count? I think that they do. And so if somebody does want to rent for 10 or 20 years, can we incentivize them by waiving fees, taxes, and things that we collect? I think so. And these are places that we're going to look to. And it's in the end, mm, that's going to affect us down the road. Yes, we'll definitely deal with that then. We have a housing crisis right now. Okay? So we got to look at everything that we have that already exists and see what we can bargain. That's the deal. We're going to barter and trade for every bit of space that we can get right now. So, you know, as far as short-term rentals go, though, everything is going to get defined further. Everybody finds that there's little niches and things, and I think if you make the case for yourself, then we find a place for you. Because, like you say, these spots matter, and they do exist. Thank you, and more. Mona. Um, yeah, so a lot of what Anne was speaking to, I think, is the Indeed program in Vail about... Um, incentivizing the homes there, waiving the real estate tra transfer taxes, and putting on a long-term deed restriction for, it conveys with the home, even to the next purchase, basically for the life of the house. I think programs like that, if we could, um, I believe council is looking into that right now, and hopefully we can implement that here in Crest Dubuque. Um, I know that there's some other programs, like in Breckenridge, trying to give some kickback to um, the homes there, $50,000, say, um, to do the same thing. Um, I also think something important to look at is to see how to make the short-term rentals less attractive. 
to either increase the taxes on that or increase some fees. Somehow, it's complicated, too, because I know there are a lot of locals that can stay in town here by short-terming their units. And so we don't want to lose the locals, but we sure do want to increase our long-term housing. Thank you, Mona. Any, any other council members want to speak? Go for it, Laura. Laura? Laura Mitchell. Well, I, I mean, in this economy, I think it's, it's going to be hard to encourage these people that want to just use their house for, for four or five months a year. I do think the Indeed uh, program by Vail could work. Right now, we're just feeling a financial pinch in a lot of ways from a couple things we did last year. So that could come around, and we could maybe work with Mount Crested Butte to partner on some of that stuff. But ultimately, we need to build rentals, and we need to build dorms. There, What happened to the ski bum that just came here for three years? That's the kid that you know, wants to live in a dorm. They have a community kitchen. We need to do something like that. We also need to just have plain old uh, rentals, and we also um, need to close the ADU holes, and we all know they're out there. Thank you, Laura. Any other council people want to speak to it? Candace, it looks... Candace. Um, I think that since we've also made a goal to work on a climate action plan, that we should require that short-term rentals are all energy efficient. That way these homes need to be upgraded um, in order to short-term them, or they could go into the long-term rental market. Um, I think that that would be an idea. There's so many things that we could do to make it more appealing, as everybody has stated. That's just one idea I have. Thank you, Candace. Will. Yeah, thanks for the question, Angie. Um, you know, f first of all, we have heard a little bit about the Vail Indeed program. Um, you know, I, after I heard about it from a town councilwoman in Vail um, at, a, at a meeting that I had gone to over there, uh, I got in touch with George Ruther and uh, got him to come over here. It took him a year to get here, <laughs> but we got that presentation in uh, town council chambers and basically what we're looking at you know the town buys a deed restriction in exchange for the homeowner either renting or living there as a long-term uh, local earning you know a certain percentage of their income or 30 hours a week of work in the Gunnison Valley you know it's a pretty simple exchange that we could tweak to what we think our town could do well but again uh, it's going to take funding and uh, you know we're, it's we're not going to be able to do a lot it's really just a, a tool in the toolbox that hopefully we can chip away at uh, trying to increase the percentage of deed restrictions in town. Um, you know, th one of the things I talked about two years ago was increasing the tax, the excise tax on short-term rentals. That would hopefully increase the funding we have in affordable housing. That would have to be a ballot measure. Um, and I understand that that might, you know, people might think that that might push people away, but it's, you know, we, we all know what short-term rentals have done to the housing stock in our town. And I think we can still catch up there. Um, Another thing we could potentially do is mess with the licensing ordinance. Um, you know, maybe you get to have two years of unlimited rentals, but then you have to have six months to a year of a local long-term rental. Um, I think that could be an option that we could investigate. Um, so basically, you know, the honest truth about short-term rentals is, you know, is how do we, what, what can we do against existing market forces, you know? So we have to keep building 
housing. We have to keep building rentals specifically right now. Um, you know, and that's hopefully we can increase the number of deed restrictions we have in our town. I really, you know, the Vela Deed Program, we're going to make our own version of it. And uh, yeah, we'll send that as soon as we can. Thank you, Will. All right, another question from the audience. Jeremy, I saw you out there somewhere. Thank you. Thanks. Um, thanks, Will and Candace. You guys both addressed something interesting along these lines. Um, any tax that would be passed would have to be passed in a ballot initiative by the voters of town. And I want to throw out a hypothetical just to see where everybody on this stage, um, where they would land on this idea. But communities like, so Vancouver um, had an explosion in affordable housing crisis. A lot of other mountain communities have gone through this. I think there's a two-pronged approach, one that addresses climate change and one that addresses short-term rentals taking over communities. And what they did there was they put a 1% tax on um, the assessed value of second homes, a luxury tax, if you will. Um, what Vancouver saw in the first year, they had a 15% reduction in these um, short-term rentals and they went to long-term. What if we did something like here, and again, it would be up to the voters of Crested Butte, but a 1% tax, no levy on second homes, not on short-term rentals who are people who are living here year-round, running out of room or whatever, but a 1% tax that would go directly towards climate initiatives, um, electric busing systems, uh, renewable energy on all of our municipal buildings, um, even creating a climate position in our town government, and a 1% tax that went straight to purchasing more land um, in the town of Crested Butte to build housing. So I'd like to know, like it would be a ballot initiative, but I'd like to know where everybody on this stage would sit on that. Um, and I think one of the things to remember is that that would be a luxury task passed by these people in this community. Um, there's gonna be clearly resistance, but it addresses both those things you guys are talking about at once. Thank you, Jeremy. Who wants that? Will. Yeah, I don't really wanna to sound too much like a hyper-liberal, but you know that I'm all for that, Jeremy. We've had a lot of conversations ourselves about that stuff um, and we shouldn't be afraid to try and at least have the public conversation and then take it to the voters. So thanks for bringing that up. There's a lot of good ideas in there. Uh, Malika and then Mo uh, Mona. So are you saying a 1% of the value of the home? Five hundred thousand each, super conservative. That'd be one point five million a year into a climate fund, and one point five million a year into an affordable housing fund. It's a luxury tax. So I was recently with the Park City folks who came to visit and went to dinner with them, and they also tax their second homes differently, and they really loved that scheme because they felt that the second home owners really subsidized a lot of the Park City amenities and they were very pleased with how it worked and actually it was that conversation that sparked my conversation with our town attorney to see what can we do. Yours specifically, exactly a 1%, I don't know. And as you say, it is something that, pardon? You know, I, I don't know what the number would be. And as you said, it would definitely have to go to the voters. But I am very interested in seeing what we can do. Because not 
I mean, it would accomplish a number of goals. When I was going door to door, there were so many houses that I could tell were empty. There were so many houses that had no Halloween decorations, that had no pumpkins. And we have, the, you know, the bottom line is the biggest issue that we have that is restricting our affordable housing is lack of funds. That's where our problem is. So an idea such as yours would certainly accomplish at least both of those. So I would definitely be in favor of the people of the town deciding, seeing what they feel. Initiatives, just so you know, the town council can yeah, endorse exactly. That yeah, I know that, Jeremy. Okay, th thank you, Malika. Uh, Mona, you're next. I understood because they do this in Vermont um, as well, but when I went further with it about trying to tax the second homes more, third homes, fourth homes, as opposed to the primary. Um, the response I got was you could not discriminate in the state of Colorado. It would have to go at a state level, which I'm all for. We can bring it to a state level. I'm not going to like sign the paper with my name that that's correct, but I've heard from two other sources, maybe somebody in the room knows 100%. Yeah, no, I know. I was kind of surprised, but I've spoken to like five people about it, and I said, why don't we do what they did in, in Vermont? You know, there's a, a ton of second and third homes way out in the rural um, counties, and they, they tax them higher because they need the money there. There's not even a store out there. Um, and, yeah, I think that when you're on council now, it's not a matter of reading the packet and showing up. There's so much work to be done full-time, every day, and um, this is something that I would research further because I think it works really well in Vermont, works really well in Vancouver, and I do feel like people that have second homes, you know, you'd like to think they can afford to pay a bit more. Thank so. you, Mona. Will Dujardin. Yeah, just real quick. Um, yeah, Jeremy, I appreciate you talking about us being the people putting it on there, because as you know, we, we put the nicotine tobacco question on the ballot this year. Um, and similarly, uh, basically, we, we as a homeroom municipality have it within our rights to push for this and, and get it done. But then would we be challenged potentially? Yeah, of course, and we can take it to court, and that's why we have awesome lawyers on our staff. So, you know, just a, a I was hearing some stuff and just wanted to remind people that we are a home rule municipality and we could try it out. We can be a leader. Thanks, Will. Does anybody else want to talk to it? Candace? Yeah. I, I think that idea is great. I, I really would like to learn more about it and learn more about the programs that are in Vermont and, Ver and Vancouver. It sounds excellent. Thank you. Uh, Laura? I'd like to remind the audience that we have done some regulation to the short-term rentals. Um, there's a certain amount of uh, licenses that you can get. It's up to, I believe, 30%. And the tax that we did implement, that we added onto it, funds the uh, affordable housing, and we're hoping to make about $300,000 a year on that. Um, your question, Jeremy, I love it. It sounds great. But I agree with Mona. I think we would have to get into the legalese of this, um, you know, the the discrimination and um, how many people are just going to change their address and get their PO. Well, it, well and that could happen. Um, oh, oh, we could. 
we could navigate it. That's all I could say. We, I like the idea. I'm not sure if it'll hold in Colorado. Thank you, Laura. Another question up there on top again, and then you. Oh, I'm sorry, Anna. I didn't see you. Will uh, went twice, so I'm going to go once. Uh, this comes down to the same thing for me: our commitment to ourselves. Okay, uh, everything's rapidly changing in this town and in this state, and it all comes down to the same thing: are we going to ask for what we're worth? Okay, uh, and and on top of that, here we are living here, and we decide what our priorities are. We decide that climate change is a priority for us, and it's like, yeah, maybe legally a mess. I don't care. I'm glad to do that because we're going to ask for what we're worth. This is a luxury resort in the most beautiful place in the world. Luxury house, luxury taxes, hand in hand. Thank you. I would remind candidates, if you want to be recognized, catch my eye or wave at me. Thank you. Okay, uh, Susie, you want to go? And then I will call up, up on top. This is sort of an adjunct question. Name, please. Sue Navy. Um, an adjunct question on housing. And I'm, I'm really interested in keeping our town multi-generational. So I'm wondering what ideas you have to provide for seniors as folks who have lived here for any number of years get to the point where they need some assistance, whether it's, um, whether it's housing or assistant, assisted living or amenities or anything you might want to add to the mix because our workforce is really important, absolutely, but as people get older, they don't want to have to leave because there's nowhere for them to, to live if they can't live on their own. Thanks. That question didn't used to come up, but then we all got older. Will. Yeah, I appreciate it, Sue. Um, you know, we definitely need to include seniors in our planning. Um, hopefully, as we start to develop the annex, we can designate some of that for uh, senior, senior housing. I mean, the honest truth is that when we look at potential new projects, we have to be looking at density, and it has to be mixed. That's what a community is. Um, so knowing that there are potentially funds from the state level at providing housing, and I know there's funds specifically for seniors. Uh, do I know what they are right now? I don't, but that's why we have awesome staff to help us push for this stuff. So I, would, you know, I know that you yourself are a very active citizen, and I know seniors often come to town council meetings, so just keep pushing us, and we will make it happen. Thank you, Will. Malika. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Sue, because obviously we value our seniors, it seems funny to say, um, because of what you offer our community. And I think the Slate River annexation is a great place to start looking at a multi-generational use. I think it would be really great to see or continue to see our community be integrated with all levels. I think, um, you know, what we've got going on at Anthracite right now, the on the ground floor, there are our ADA units, and um, it would be great to see that in the Slate River annexation because that's kind of a prime place and that we've got in the pipeline. Thank you, Malika. Mona. Um, I think this is also speaks to as we're building out affordable housing now, we need to be thoughtful. Who are we building it for? And there are a lot I see of affordable housing that's a one bedroom and a studio. 
I would like to see what's building out smaller, the size of anthracite, maybe even smaller, with parks and communal rooms that could be turned into a senior center, could be turned into communal living, could be changed in its use in the future. I think as we build this out, we do need to keep revisiting what we're building, who we're building it for, and how we can change the uses, not the affordable factor of it, but are we trying to get more families in town? Are we trying to do workforce? And breaking walls down, putting walls up enough where it can revolve with our changing needs. But I'll be moving in with you. Because <laughs> I plan to retire here. <laughs> Well, <laughs> thank you. Lots thank of you. ramps. Uh, who else wants a chunk of it? Laura. I can't agree with you more, Sue. I think that we are missing the mark on the senior housing. And I do believe that um, when Slate River annexation comes on, we should um, leverage uh, grants that can get us um, senior housing, you know, and uh, keep that in our future. Um, and sadly, for the past 30 years, we've seen all the old old guys leave, and there used to be a senior center in town that's no longer, and if we could have a place for them to go and, and uh, be together, it'd be great. Better not put it too long into the future. <laughs> Who else wants some? Okay, uh, I saw another hand way up top. Yep, that'd be you, girl. Going back uh, Name, please. to uh, Priscilla, Paul Hava, I live in town um, with my kids and a family of four in what we would call a teeny house for the size of our family. Um, going back to the short-term rentals, I do that. I've had long-term, I have short-terms, I do better with the short-term, not just because of the financial, that it's more... Uh, Definitely, we make more money with the short, but also we don't have the headaches when the long leaves. That's other problem that, as a property owner, we have to deal with. I would like also to remind everyone a time where our town did not have a winter, and nobody came down from the mountain, and because we don't have beds in town, and also because families have traveled, choosing to travel differently. You know, people don't like as much the whole concept of a hotel room versus a home. This is a cultural change. So there is, there is a balance between keeping our town alive and year-round, which VRBO, you know, not just the company, but in general, the short term, really brought a lot of the livelihood to our town. I remember times that I had my store and I had maybe five or six people coming in during Christmas because everybody that came to ski during the winter, they would stay up on the mountain. Um, and the VRBO really helped that. It helped to have more people in town, have it to be more lively, help people instead of plowing a second home that's closed now, they're VRBO, now you're plowing two, three times a week. You're cleaning two, three times a week. So there has to be a balance. I like the idea of incentives for people to do the long-term uh, uh, rental over punishing the people that are doing the short-term rental. I do agree that the taxes have to be increased for the people that are coming here and taking amazing advantage for what we have to offer, luxury taxes, all that. But also remember that a lot of people that do come with a family for a short-term rental are people that maybe not be able to afford the $300 hotel room that it's available in town. 
So with that said, I would like you to keep in mind that the short terms do bring a good uh, a balance to the town. Uh, my understanding is that right now we don't even, I don't know where we are now, but we may not even have all the license taken. I think increasing the, which was done, increasing people to come and look your short term and make sure you have egress exits, make sure you have parking, make sure it's in a good spot. That has done a lot to my understanding. Um, if you're going to do something like that, I think you have to be responsible for what you're doing and producing as a short-term rental also. And your question is? That's not my question. I was just saying that, you know, there was a, my, my suggestion was a lot of what the two of them said in terms of what are the benefits that you can give to somebody that does want to do the long-term but has, you know, dealt with some hardships on that area too. It's more about incentiving the, the long term than punishing the short term because the short term is a good thing for our town. Thank you very much. Anybody want to comment, answer, and more? I would say something to that quickly. Uh, you know, I don't think we're looking to punish short term rentals. You're absolutely right to point out that uh, short term rentals, VRBO, not just uh, change the economy of this town, but many towns globally. This is happening everywhere. Right? And of course, yes, it's worth it for us to look at it and be like, of course, we want to travel with a house and have kitchens. These make sense. You're right. Yes, we're looking for balance. So are we looking in all the right places? Are we? Maybe we should be looking at hotels and asking them to take a couple floors of their rooms that aren't getting used that often and turn those into one bedrooms. Okay, maybe we don't need to look at every short-term rental and say, oh, no, 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 that's got to be a long-term rental. Maybe we repurpose some other things that already exist. And so while you say to me, yes, yeah, yeah, you bet, we're making money off of this, and I don't think that we should stop. You know, we're going to do it thoughtfully, and we're going to look at other things. We're going to look at other property that exists and look at the, pro you know, the problem from all the angles. So thank you for pointing that out. I think you're right to bring it up. Laura? I just, this is to you, Priscilla. Um, I'll be honest, I've short-termed my house. I live in the mobile home district, and I get 60 days, and I use about 14. I stopped doing it this summer because it's too much trouble. But I'll tell you what, five grand in the middle of the summer after uh, expensive ski season and off-season, I did it. And we dealt with parking and bear-proof containers and carbon monoxide detectors and all that kind of stuff. So short-term rental, we've done a lot of regulating to short-term rentals, and um, I'm just... It, it's an avenue, you know, when you find out that you've overspent your credit card. You might short-term your rental for two weeks and get out of debt, get out of the hole. Mona. I think um, my issue more with short-term rentals isn't you living in town and doing it for extra income or Laura being able to take off. Or it's the homes that are vacant year-round and, like, occupied two months out of the year. I just see that turning into empty town syndrome. I mean, I want locals in town, I want warm bodies, I want people to talk to, I want to say hi on the street. I want a community. And um, my issue with the short terms is taking community away. There are many short terms that don't do that and help amazing people like you guys stay in town. Um, I, like I said, I'm more concerned about the ones that are vacant almost the entire year, and it seems like there's more and more of those in town, and there's less and less people that I get to see on the street and say hi to. Malika. 
So we have a two-tiered system of our short-term rentals. So there are those which are primary residents, and obviously those are still our neighbors. We still see them on the street, and they're limited to the number of days in which they can short-term rent their home. So that addresses somebody like that Laura just talked about, that some extra income. I also short-term rent my place as a primary resident. So there's, but then there's the other category of people who it's not their primary residence. I would be willing to pass on an additional tax to the people who come and stay at my house. I think it's completely appropriate. I think it's also time for the town to, to re-look at these regulations, look and see the impact. As I said, when I was walking from house to house over these last few weeks, seeing so many houses that were empty that had no sign of life. I was kind of starting to be able to see just as I was walking up that they had no bike, no decorations, no nothing that even looked like Crested Butte. So I think it's definitely time for us to relook at the short-term rentals, especially the tax structure, which again would have to go to a vote. Thank you, Laura. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got you. Way over there in the corner, Chris. Hi there. Yeah. Um, I'm Andy. I just moved back to Crested Butte. I originally got here in 1990 through Western State College, but it's nice to be home. Um, so I moved to South Lake Tahoe, and I myself took a job with Vail Corporation to get my family season passes and all the deals that go along with being a Vail Corporation employee. And... Um, I really would like to see you all tap into the different um, funds that are implemented within the Vail Corporation. There's housing opportunities. There's zero footprint opportunities. There is also um, even promises that are for funding families of need within the communities. And we can directly vote on all of those as um, Vail Corp um, members who get passes and stuff like that. But I'm taking us away from the whole um, short-term realm because I really do believe there's also funding within this financial backbone company to provide the housing that they're going to need to actually um, provide for um, all the employees that they're going to need to actually man their, their activities that create the ski area. But a big thing that I noticed since I've moved back was, and after having been in South Lake Tahoe, the impact environmentally that all the people that are marketed to come to their area enjoy the great outdoors is the impact in the environment that um, these people have brought with them. They're not educated. They don't know what to do in the outdoors. When they need to go poop, they just take a poop wherever. Yeah, I've noticed there's a lot more um, forest service toilets along every corridor in our community or up, you know, every single drainage in our community. And, um, and I just, I feel like there needs to be some sort of um, coalition to educate people on how to behave in the outdoors, like just with their personal needs. And um, I don't know if there's any of that being implemented. Um, and then I could 
just keep going on because there's a lot that I've noticed since I've left and come back. But that's just one thing is um, the environmental impact that all these tourists are coming with. Thank you. Uh, a lot of people want to comment. I saw Malika's hand first. So we have such an awesome organization. It's the Conservation Corps. And Dave Ox did a presentation a few weeks ago that showed the tremendous education that they are bringing to our visitors. It was kind of shocking, the things that they showed that people leave in the backcountry including like a crazy amount of, I think it was tons of human feces. But what they do is they go out and they go along the trails and they educate our visitors. And I think that's the best possible thing because if you don't know, you don't know. And so we've got a really great vibrant organization out there that is really taking that bull by the horns. So that is just so awesome. Thank you, Malika. Uh, we'll just come down the line here. Mona? Uh, yeah, I was going to say the CBCC that Dave started, um, kind of more his calling than actually Simba, but, um, but we need more of that. He is overworked and does it tirelessly. Um, I think right now he has eight employees. Willie, you may know. But I feel like if we had four or five of those in our valley, one per valley floor, one for Slate, one for Washington, one for Gothic, one for Brush Creek, one for Cement Creek, then we could start to make a difference. What he does with how little he has is actually amazing. Um, I would like to tap into Vail more on that, their initiatives, which are they did not have when they came in to Breckenridge. Um, it seems like they are way more community oriented now and hopefully they could help fund three or four of those. And, um, and also we can do more on a town level, but I would like to see some of our budget going towards that. Less towards the marketing and more towards just keeping this place beautiful because it'll speak for itself and people will continue to come and enjoy themselves. Thank you, Mona. Uh, Will Dujardin. Yeah, so the two topics out of your question, Andy, um, one being Vail and one being managing our outdoor recreation and tourism, both deserve tons of conversation. Um, you know, to, to get to what you finished on, uh, maybe since you've been gone, uh, the One Valley Prosperity Project kind of had four pillars, platforms come out of it, um, being affordable housing, mental health, economic prosperity and outdoor tourism, sorry, sustainable tourism and outdoor recreation. And so the store committee has been meeting since then, and that's a, a bunch of stakeholders being federal agencies, the local municipalities, the county, local nonprofits, and they've been really guiding our joint effort to, for example, get more porta-potties out there, get more awareness out there, get, you know, try to support the CBCC. I mean, it's obvious that the CBCC is underfunded and kind of picking up the slack and filling in the gap between all these organizations. So as we look to help them find more funding, um, hopefully we can help them carry out their mission. Um, you know, real briefly, I'm also a Vail employee, and uh, you know, it's pretty impressive what their commitment to zero is, being net commitment to zero net emissions, commitment to zero waste in the landfill, commitment to zero effects on forest and water development. 
Um, and they're, they're taking that pretty seriously. They have teams at every resort uh, trying to carry out that mission, and all that's supposed to be done by 2030. Also, the funds you were talking about are the Epic Promise Foundation, and uh, those are available to employees and local nonprofits. So obviously, we want to push people to access that as best we can, and we want to you know, hold them accountable to being a part of our community. And uh, hopefully, Tim Baker you know, keeps on having awesome meetings with us, and we can keep pushing them to take care of our community a little bit better than our previous owners have. Thank you, Will. Who else wants an, a chunk of this? Laura? Um, I think this is about educating the people that get here. We got a couple problems going on. The store is well-funded, while the Conservation Corp is not. Um, they're looking for a line item on our budget. But we just need to educate the guests, and that's working with all partners to get everybody's email, or when you get in your room, like a hang tag or something that says, hey, the water's good here. You don't need to go buy 24 eight-ounce water bottles. Maybe you check into the room and you get a water bottle. Also, you know, you need a swag bag if you're going to go out in the woods. You might need to, you know, move something. <laughs> Um, but I think in the next year, we really need to look at the relationship between store and the Conservation Corp and the education piece for uh, visitors. Is the council inclined to make that a line item? No. To the uh, Conservation Corps? Not, not currently. Not um, currently, no. We're, we're looking at potentially contracting with them on specific projects on town-owned property, but also encouraging them to apply to our community grant cycle as they have in the past. Yeah. Thank you. And we are getting pressure from them asking. Yeah. Straight out. I just did too. <laughs> okay, another question from the audience, please. Okay, I see one there. Uh, hi. Uh, there's a microphone floating around somewhere. Oh. There you go. Is this better? Okay. Hi, Susan Kearns, Crested Butte. Um, in 2008, when I had just finished a remodeling on an old house, and I saw the market caving, and my long-term tenants walked away, a short-term rental really saved my bacon. It helped me as a single person to stay in town to short-term rent. I think we're at the point now with the taxes so high, they're 18.4% sales tax in Crested Butte, 4% of that goes to the local marketing district. The voters in 2008 voted in perpetuity to keep this tax. I, I'm asking you, and I really am grateful for all of you for doing your homework, and um, I was intrigued with Jeremy's question, could you see raising a tax? Could you see, and I'd like to hear if anybody has an idea, um, our local marketing district are, are the county commissioners, and they are hiring out the almost two million I think that we've had so far to spend that have been generated in this 4% in perpetuity tax. What, it would take some energy to rescind that tax and maybe reformulate it so that we could have economic sustainability and environmental sustainability if we could subsidize um, long-term rentals because that might be what it takes for a working class and middle class person to stay here. But I just wanted to know if anybody has ideas of how you could approach our county commissioners to um, take away that tax. It's, it would have to go to a vote of the people. 
I would like to add, given that, uh, what is it, Proposition CC is on the ballot, that's a debrucing or an untabering amendment. Would that affect any of this? I mean, everybody's talking about taxes, how we can or cannot implement taxes. Well, if I'm not mistaken, CC would debruce and give local municipalities more money. I think that ties in with what you were asking. Is that right, Susan? Um, I'm not really sure what CC does. Okay, read your ballot. Okay. Okay. Can you? It's not the same. No. No. You're you're asking about defunding the TA, correct? My mistake. Uh, I would address this briefly, uh, just to remind you uh, that. As Americans, we're going to decide collectively what we fund and what we don't fund. Yes, if this became something that was so important to our voter base that we decided that we needed to restructure this, then we would, and we would put it to a vote. Of course, the county commissioners, they're in charge because we choose them to make these elected decisions. But for big things like taxation, we're all going to decide this together. And I think it's really important that nobody in this room and nobody that's listening forgets the power of their vote. Okay, we are in charge of how much tax we collect. So is it important to you? Okay, then you make that important to us. That becomes a different thing. We don't just ask our neighbors. We don't ask the county commission for permission. Okay, we ask you for permission. And I, don't, and I, and that, I can't make that clear enough. Thank you, Ann Moore. Who else wants to speak to that? Mona. You're talking about the county tax, right? The money that goes to the county? It's the lodging tax. Yeah, the lodging tax. The lodging tax, correct? Yeah. And um, in 2008, 2009, you struggled. Now, are you still there? Or you're anticipating the recession and you're worrying? I mean, I, do, I, I believe everything that we talk about and all the policies, we do have to revisit. Um, I guess at this point in time, I'm not sure going to the county and asking them to take that tax away, I would be, I would save my guns for when I need it. I would wait for the recession, but you know, it would be, it would be going, it would be getting together and having more meetings with county. Um, I think in the future, the way we're gonna get stuff done is by collaborating more with the county, collaborating more with Mount CB, and trying to figure out what needs to go away and what needs to be voted in. So I, you were the person I was talking about earlier, we don't want losing locals that can only stay in town because they short-term their home. And if that's gonna become an issue, we absolutely need to revisit that. Thank you, Malika. Sue, so I also struggled in 2008. I have a deed-restricted accessory dwelling unit, and in 2008, I lost my tenants. I didn't have short-term renters then, and it was really a struggle because I depended upon them to help pay my mortgage. Um, what can we do with the county? I mean, it will come down to a vote, but I agree. I think that... Um, I think spending the money for marketing is not um, 
what we need to be doing. I thought I think we've got Vail with their big guns who are marketing the town, and let's take those tax monies and use them for a better purpose. Thank you, Malika. Uh, Laura, then Will, is that what we got going on here? Susan, while I do agree with you that we need to revisit that, uh, I just want to remind you that um, it also pays for airline buy-downs, which gets people here in the winter. Um, winter has actually become our soft season. Um, and being on the Air Command, get, getting Air Command reports and looking at uh, reservations, and especially now with, with this um, epic package where someone flies into you know, Grand Junction and then bops around to all these ski resorts. Um, keeping our ski resort is the is viable is, is is very important to me and I think everybody in the community. However, I do agree with you that we need to relook take a closer look at the at the TA and how we're spending our money. Thank you, Laura. Will Dujardin. Yeah, um, thanks for the mic. Uh, I'm not for taking away the lodging tax. I mean, it's pretty obvious that it's it goes to a pretty good purpose, but it, it's not perfect, right? The TA, like I said earlier, rebranded itself to the tourism and uh, prosperity. What's the what's the PP tap? The second. Yeah, it's so basically. Sorry for not knowing the specifics on that one, but we definitely need to keep county and tap accountable i mean you guys know that john norton puts his email in every newspaper that comes out and you, he's the head of tap right and so they've kind of rebranded themselves to try to look out for our community and help rebuild uh, a little bit of the year-round economy here um, that tax goes towards a lot of things so if we keep the conversation going then um, hopefully we can apply it a little better than what it has been. I know a lot of people are frustrated with it, but it, it goes a long way towards getting people here and getting messaging out there that we need to get to our guests. We have an outlier, and Jim Schmidt wants to speak to this. Uh, I just want to say a couple of things. The enabling legislature for lodging tax is very specific that can only be used for marketing and those type of purposes. As much as I would love to say, let's build trails with it or let's build affordable housing, you just can't. Same thing with what Jer Jeremy was talking about, a lot of the stuff that Utah has in Vancouver and Vermont, it's statewide enabling legislature that prevents it. There is an opportunity. We have a Democratic governor, Democratic state house, Democratic Senate. That is the time to say, let's look at uh, adding an extra tax on, on second homes, much more so. Uh, and I also would like to say about Vail is as soon as Vail came in, I called and asked different communities about what Vail is doing. The one thing that they all said they're not doing anymore is affordable housing, unfortunately. Uh, we, from the day I first talked to them and, and we meet with them monthly, we always talk about affordable housing and they're not jumping at the thing though they realize that affordable housing is definitely needed. So I just wanted to mention those two things. Thank you, Deli. Okay, any more questions from the audience? I hear one more up there and then we'll get Mr. Cowherd in here down here. Hi. Oh, my name's um, first thank you guys all for your public service. It takes a lot of time and energy, so we appreciate it. Um, this is an interesting question from someone that hasn't owned a car for fifteen years, but 
Would any of you, um, Laura, you touched on it in your opening statements about the roundabout into town and traffic's an issue we all know in July and August. Um, would anyone on the council be interested in entertaining or, I don't know, bringing it to the council, um, closing Elk Avenue for July and August or making it a one-way street in those months just to make it more pedestrian-friendly, kid-friendly, bike-friendly? Um, I know it's mayhem and businesses you know, think that it's the one thing that their customers need is to be able to drive up to the door and park there. But I bet you if we, you know, explored other options that maybe, um, yeah, there'd be a better solution. Thank you. Now there's a specific question. Uh, let's start on this side this time. Ann Moore, please. Uh, I'm glad to talk about this. I think it's something we uh, think about in Crestview all of the time. And a lot of the time we're looking at it and we're like, can, can we close this street? How does this affect the businesses? And, you know, right now what we're looking at is numbers uh, from what happens to these businesses when we close the street temporarily for one event. Uh, but I think the one thing that's really worth looking at and something we really need to think about is what it would do for the street if it was closed, if people were stuck there on their feet. I mean, yes, of course, we're going to have to think about parking. We're going to have to get real about getting people parking at the school, transportation to get them from there. You know, but the thing is, is that our, our view on parking and how important the street is, the closing of it, is a little skewed because we've never looked at the full problem. We've only looked at it during, uh, you know, s specific events, which of course are going to have a direct effect. So I think that if we want to do this, and I, and I think that we should, we see that pedestrian areas work uh, in many places, and it would certainly make things feel a little bit safer around here. But to do that, I think we're going to have to really really work with our partners on Elk Avenue and look at things all the way around so that we can do it in the right way. Thank you, Ann. Malika. So when I was going door to door, one of the suggestions that I heard that was sounded really intriguing to me was the idea of closing Elk Avenue for about two blocks to create a what she called a piazza-like experience. So where old people, young people would hang out, would have a place to sit, where they could hang out, uh, watch life go by, not be inundated with the traffic that we have in July and August. And it sounded really cool to me. I've also been to Italy. I've also seen that scene that it's so cool. And it seems, I mean, she was talking about a couple of blocks. And it seems like people could probably manage to walk that far. I would love, and of course, we see it in so many other communities where it does seem to work. I'd love to see that idea looked at, studied. Of course I care about the impact on businesses on Elk Avenue. They're the lifeblood, and people won't come if there's not a vibrant downtown. But I think it would be an awesome idea to look at. So thanks for bringing that up. Thank you, Malika. Candice. I, I think it's an interesting idea, but I also think that we would have to develop a parking plan because all of those cars that we're parking on Elk Avenue are going to park in the neighborhood right off Elk Avenue. So they're going to park in front yards, they're going to park in weird places just so they can get as close as possible. So I think that we would actually need to take 
more of a, a larger view of what that would mean for everybody in the situation, not just the businesses um, that may be on the furthest end of Elk Avenue and it's hard to get to. Um, you would have to think about everybody else on the side streets and those alleyways as well. Thank you, Candace. Laura, did you want to speak to this? Yeah, I talk about this a little bit. Um, I can't think of the number off the top of my head, but you'd be surprised at how many days a year Elk is closed. Um, it's it's a lot. If you heard the number, I can't recall it right now, but it's it's in the fifties. Jim might be able to tell me, but I think it's a great idea. However, we would have to mitigate parking. And we'd have to work with the businesses to see if there would be any consensus on that. Also, sitting on the Mountain Express board, I'll tell you what, the bus drivers don't like that. Um, driving up Maroon, and obviously they're already driving through neighborhoods, but um, they they get bothered by it. But you know what? I think it'd have to be a community um, spun thing. I mean, we can't just be like, we're closing Elk on July. But, you know, maybe we could visit it in the summer on Friday through Sunday or, I don't know, start exploring it. But it'd have to be just a big community discussion. Thank you, Laura. Will. Yeah, thanks for the question, Keith. Uh, um, sorry. Uh, obviously, um, this conversation comes up a lot, right? Uh, we always love how, like, after an event clears out, it's really awesome to just stand around in the street or bike right through. And a lot of people support how this is a biking and pedestrian community. Um, but again, you know, if anything I've learned being on town council the last two years, it takes public process, it takes discussions, it takes motivated citizens to push the council to do it. Because we're talking about a parking plan, well, we have one. We, got, we hired some contractors to develop one. We can tweak it a little bit, you know, it's... Um, it's a pretty good idea. We, it hasn't been implemented because, again, we get mixed reviews from our constituency on how we, whether we really want to do it or not. And so um, this is a big discussion, and I, I'm totally in favor of trying to figure out some sort of hybrid plan. I think, like, buses, bikes, pedestrians only would be awesome. Does it need to be like that all the time? No. Does it, could it be like that during the busiest times of the year or special event weekends or more often? I, I think so. Um, but again, it, we're going to have to tie, like, put parking closer to Elk Avenue. We're going to have to implement a parking plan throughout the whole town, and um, it's going to take a lot of public discussion to do that. Thank you, Will. Mona, did you want to speak? Um, yeah, just more reiterating that you know there was that transportation plan too I feel like there were some locals on that committee and, and what they came up was keeping elk the same not making it a one way not closing it to pedestrians and I've actually talked to a lot of locals and I thought the feedback would be yes please um, so it was enlightening for me to hear a lot of them were worried about people not being able to carry all the booze from the liquor store um, but, you know, it was, it was really good feedback, and I was kind of surprised that more people weren't in favor of it. Um, I do think that the parking should, the, the paid parking um, should happen, first and foremost. And like Will said, to even get that to happen, those discussions need a, to happen now. And if it is something that we're going to talk about closing down elk, you know, it, it's going to happen in two, three, four years. So if that's what the community shows more support for, I think it needs to get on the council agenda. Thank you, Mona. Anybody else want to speak to it? Okay, I'm going to take one more question, then we're going to entertain Kent. Yes, uh, this is Kent Coward. 
As you know, the town's conducted a uh, parking analysis and uh, has developed a plan to make parking uh, more efficient. And, um, and my question is to you, what will be the tipping point or what will be the time when we'll initiate this parking plan? When we'll um, make more efficient parking on Elk Avenue? When will we prevent parking stacking up, for instance, when the Center for the Arts comes online, parking stacking up immediately in front of this facility? Um, what point in time or what tipping point will it take to initiate the parking plan? Malika first, please. Some years ago, back when I was the town attorney, the council passed parking regulations that are not currently being enforced. Before we move to something like paid parking, I'd really love to see our current regulations enforced. So many of my friends who are Elk Avenue business owners are so frustrated because it seems like a pretty simple solution. There's two hour parking on Elk Avenue. We just got an eighth marshal. Let's enforce our current parking. And by the way, speeding, blowing through stop signs, etc. But I think long before we go to big city, paid city parking, let's enforce the regulations that we do have. Thank you, Malika. Mona, did you want to speak to that? Um, I do think you bring up a good point. I think when you get to the tipping point, you've missed the boat. You know, I would like to see us anticipate solving the issue before it's tipping. Um, and at the very least, we can try it. We can try and implement the paid parking in July and August when, you know, I live three blocks off of Elk and people park in my driveway. <laughs> I come home and I'm amazed. There's three cars in my driveway. So I just don't see why we wouldn't try and implement it for months, get some revenue to the town and revisit it and say, did that work? Didn't it work? You know, um, because I, I, I see a lot of these things, the back country, you know, that it gets to a point where it's almost too far gone. It's hard to reel it back in. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I would be for trying that. Who else? Will. Yeah, thanks for the question, Kent. Um, you and I have talked a lot about this stuff, and obviously I was just talking about the parking plan um, that we you know, hire a consultant for, and we have this plan that yet to be implemented, just kind of gathering dust on the shelf right now. Um, the reason why I, I, you know, I'm just a little hesitant is because we have, we don't have the same kind of public participation on this parking plan. We had a, a business outreach meeting that like three business owners showed up to. We put it in the paper, put it on the radio, you know, like we had a community outreach meeting that maybe six or seven residents showed up to. And so this isn't on like the front burner, so to speak, that no one's coming to public comment and talking about it. I really appreciate you being at public comment time and time again and hitting us again on this question because, you know, it is going to hit a tipping point, but I am not sure when it is. Do we just go out on a limb and, and do it and then have people yell at us for caring too much and trying to manage our town and take it into the 21st century. Maybe that'll happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we, we're going to revisit it. I'd like 
a little more of the community to come up and, and talk to us about it. Uh, the, the thing about the Center for the Arts is that is that's still on CDOT right-of-way, and we need to work with them to manage the enforcement on that section. Um, so hopefully we get a little more participation from the public in pushing us for the parking plan. Um, and that's really all it's going to take for me because I, I already I see the benefits of a management plan. I know that we need to implement one as soon as possible. Candice. I, I did want to talk about the two-hour time uh, limit on elk because I believe as a council we asked the marshal's office to kind of take that more seriously. Um, and the last time I talked to Mike Riley, I asked him what the results were. I mean, over the summer season, that was supposed to be the time that they were supposed to be enforcing that. And I said, what, you know, what was the outcome? How did it go? And he said they wrote a lot of tickets, but he couldn't give me a number exactly, but he could get those to me later, and he still hasn't. But um, I, I think that that would give us an idea of how many people are violating that, how many um, people are parking over their time limit there, so we could make an informed decision about elk specifically. Thank you, Candace. Ann? Uh, for me, this is this problem's here. It's a problem right now, all of the time. Three people in Mona's parking lot, people in mine at the Meadows, people parking uh, every single place that they possibly can. Here's the thing. We have to start this dialogue right now. Everybody is very concerned that this uh, parking plan is going to negatively affect their life somehow. Maybe they're not going to have the right parking in front of their home. But actually, parking plans are designed specifically so that they protect local spaces. Everybody has a place to be and it makes it clear to the guests. Also, also, I know we want to talk about this and see where we're at, but I'm going to be pretty honest. There's parking plans everywhere on earth, okay? You pay for parking everywhere. Has anybody traveled? I definitely have, okay? I go to Denver and I feed the meter. It's very simple, okay? It's very clear when it's time for me to get up and leave. We've been on an honor system on Elk Avenue, and trust me, the guests aren't the only ones taking advantage of it. But if we need to pick up a little pocket change, which I think that we do, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel and think that somehow that we are different from every tourist destination on earth. We're not. We need to regulate these things. We need to protect ourselves. And if we don't take it seriously now, then, yep, in a year or two, we're going to be reacting again instead of looking ahead. I'd like to plan forward and look at this as soon as possible. Thank you, Anne. Laura. Um, right now, I... You know, we just brought on the eighth uh, police officer, and I think we need to enforce par parking rules we have. Um, the community feedback we got was they did not want this program, and that's why we've backed off. Um, sitting on the Mountain Express board, though, I will say, though, if there's paid parking, people will ride the bus instead of, and, and it is making it convenient, this uh, this no parking, well, why bother to ride the bus? I can just get in my car and drive off. So I do think it needs to be looked at in the, in the near future, um, and we need more community input. Um, it's just like many things in Crested Butte. We let the horses out of the corral, and then we try to get them back in. Maybe we should try to keep the horses in the corral from the get-go. Thank you, Laura. Okay, I want to thank everybody for their questions. Um, I, for one, have learned quite a bit tonight. Um, and we're going to entertain closing statements from our candidates. Um, this time we'll start with Laura Mitchell. Thanks again for coming tonight. I truly am interested in hearing what your concerns are. 
I uh, my phone number and email are listed on the town website. Please call me anytime. And I'd like to invite you to coffee on Tuesday morning, October 22nd at the Daily Dose. I will buy you coffee, and we can talk about any more questions that you have that didn't come up tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. And more? Many years ago when we started this community, there was a lot of uh, very smart people that looked ahead and they protected this place. They put three levels of protection on it physically, starting with the historical district and moving all the way out. And that was a great plan and we have a lot of space and we feel very good. I'd like to do the same sort of thing, but I'd like to build three areas of protection for the locals. We're gonna protect our right to be here with our space with deed restricted housing. I want to protect our traditions through special event investment and insurance and, and you know, instigation, as it were. And, um, and, I, and I want to protect this community all of the way by continuing to keep its doors open and making it accessible for people to come here and help us. We learn, we change, we grow. People are welcome. And if we don't invest in ourselves in this way and the way that we've invested in the land, we're going to find ourselves to be an endangered species. So... Please join me in this mission. Thank you, Anne. Candace Bradley, please. I just wanted to thank everyone for coming out tonight. And I wanted to let you know that everyone sitting up here, every one of these candidates, has something important to offer for our community. And I feel honored to sit on this stage with everyone because these people care about the community, and, I, and you care about the community. And I'm really thankful that I'm here. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. Will Dujardin. Yeah, um, you know, first of all, I'm just so honored to be on this stage with this group. Uh, these are a bunch of exceptional candidates, and no matter what happens, we will have a woman-dominant council representing Crested Butte, and uh, I hope to be a part of that. <laughs> um, I'm always going to put community first, and you guys know I'm always going to advocate for affordable housing and aggressive climate action. We can't be scared to lead mountain towns, the Western Slope, and Colorado in general with innovative solutions um, to, to take care of our real community here. Um, you know, I'm asking for your vote, uh, you know, now. <laughs> Ballots are in the mail. If you haven't looked at that yet, you can turn them in, and then the election is on November 5th. And I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here. I uh, really like working with Candace, and Ann Moore is one of my best friends in town, so... I think if you vote for the three of us, uh, you're definitely going to get some results done on council. And I love the other three women up here as well. Just, I got favorites. Sorry. Thank you, Will. Uh, Mona Merrill, please. Oh, once again, ditto. I did not realize how much we would be in the spotlight. And this process has been enlightening and humbling for me. Um, I, like I said earlier, I care so deeply about community. And my family is here forever. We're raising our child here. We have a house on White Rock. And we plan to live here and move into the senior home we're going to build. <laughs> um, I have a big history of perseverance and teamwork. And I think a lot of these issues now, there's no silver bullet. They are hard, they're contentious, they're going to require a lot of time outside of council. They're going to require a lot of networking, a lot of collaboration, a lot of research, a lot of homework, a lot more questions, and a lot more homework. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to take this position as a full-time job, 
And I sure hope when Tori graduates in 12 years, this community is thriving with locals, warm bodies and homes, and it's still real. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mona. Malika Magner, please. Ultimately, I see the role of town council person as a representative of the people of town of Crested Butte, as someone who's accessible, who listens, and who cares, who, who considers not just my own opinions, but those of you, the community. As I've been going door to door and otherwise making myself available, hearing what my neighbors have to say about what concerns them, the big issues we've been discussing tonight are certainly at the forefront. But I've also heard about a lot of other quality of life issues, ones that can be addressed relatively easily, ones that I wouldn't always have known about if you hadn't shared them with me. I'll be at uh, Rumors Townie Books on Friday at 9 o'clock if you have further questions for me. These issues, all of your issues, are important to me, and I hope that you will let me continue to hear you and represent you. Thank you. Thank you, Malika. And finally, our uncontested uh, incumbent and uh, mayor, Jim Schmidt, Delhi. Thank you, Dennis. There were these three hunters that came up to uh, Colorado uh, a little while ago and uh, they got up early they were all excited about hunting and they're out in the field the first day out in the woods and they came across some tracks and the first one says them there is elk tracks I've been hunting all my life and my daddy told me everything about it hunting and I know them there's elk tracks and the second one says no way boy then there's deer tracks my daddy and his daddy told me everything I know about hunting I know them there's deer tracks the third one was about to say something when the train hit him. <laughs> you have to look up and pay attention to the big picture. And that's one of the hardest things about council. A couple people talked about balance, and that is so important. You have to balance all the different ideas. You have to balance the uh, different areas of contention. Sometimes you, you can be too focused on a specific solution to see the solutions or focus on too, too much on the problem to see the solution. As council members, we have to keep our eyes open and our heads up and analyze all problems with a view of the big picture. We have to consider traffic parks and historic preservation when considering housing. Interest in physical ability, abilities and physical restrictions of residents and visitors alike must be taken into account when discussing parking and transportation the arts and sports, the young and old, and so on. I want to see new and sometimes out-of-the-box ideas come from this, the uh, council. I want council members not to be afraid or discouraged if an idea gets turned down. Come up with another one and help make anybody else's ideas the best ever. Listening is so important. And I think one of the best questions I didn't hear tonight is what was the best idea you heard from one of the other council members? Think about that as you go home. I just want to thank you all for coming, and I want to thank all the candidates for throwing their hat in the ring. It's not easy. Thank you, Deli. All right, thank you very much, everybody. I appreciate you coming out. Remember, the most important thing you can do this year and next year is to go out there and vote. Thank you.
So concludes the 2019 Crested Butte Candidates Forum presented by the Crested Butte News, a live broadcast brought to you by KBUT. Thanks for tuning in.